0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. There's still a lot to be said about uh, cryptocurrencies. I'm sure people are probably tired of listening to people talk about cryptocurrencies, but they didn't go away, even though uh, the market sort of fell out a little, you know, quote unquote, fell out on them. And so because they didn't actually go away when the market apparently was as bad as it could get in the last couple of years, we got to keep talking about them. That is why Karen Prangley and Ross Bruck are with me today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Welcome. So remind the world uh, of who you are for the few people in the world who don't know who you
1: are. Great. Uh, We have really similar backgrounds, so it might be a little bit of a ditto, but um, Karen Prangley, I used to sit on Brent's side of the table and was an attorney in private practice specializing exclusively in trust and estates planning for high net worth individuals, uh for the first 12 years of my career and for about the last 10 i've been at brown brothers harriman a multi-family office that does investments plus um, as a wealth planner primarily helping clients strategize and implement on their trusts estates tax and legacy plans Um, and in around 2009 i had when i was in private practice had some um instances where digital assets, cryptocurrency kind of came to bear in a new and exciting way. I had no idea what to do. So I have just been studying up on these issues uh, ever since. It's been kind of a passion project of mine. For a while, I led the Digital Property Committee of the American Bar Association, Real Property Trust and Estate Law section. I'm the vice chair of that committee um, in the American College of Trust and Estate Law now. And just an enthusiast.
2: Similar background, like you said, Brent. Uh, I, too, am a wealth planner at BBH. I was in private practice for about eight years prior to joining BBH, and I've been in now Brown Brothers for just over seven. Uh, like Karen, I picked up the technology, crypto, digital asset bug because it was so fascinating and so interesting and so unique from everything else we had learned up to that date when it really emerged on the mainstream. Uh, So I became the technology chair for the probate section for the Philadelphia Bar Association. I became the uh, editor of the technology probate column for Probate and Property Magazine, an ABA publication. Uh, I also do a podcast on digital planning called the Digital Planning Podcast, really creative there, with two other Philadelphia-based attorneys, trust and estates attorneys, who are like-minded in their fascination of this subject
0: which is a very good resource i have actually listened to your podcasts and i think it's a i think it's an excellent podcast you guys do a very good job so kudos um yeah you both you both saw the bright lights of uh, private law practice and you left I, I i can't believe it
1: i wish that we were so astute in timing our investments of cryptocurrency maybe we wouldn't be here if we invested the yeah. time. but uh hey we know we know a lot uh, did we invest as well as we know? Maybe not. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. So nobody's <laughs> going to be looking to this for investment advice. That's that's a good caveat, oh. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> not investment advice. Not investment advice. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure the the Brown Brothers crew could be very happy we got that in there. The uh the landscape for uh cryptographic assets and cryptocurrencies in particular. In estate planning is i know it's very vast but maybe we could start with at least some of the kind of high level issues that you're seeing and you're coaching uh folks on on how to plan for these things and how to manage them in in different phases of life and i don't want to forget the fact that we're still dealing with human beings and they have full lives
2: yeah it's it's really been a fascinating roller coaster since well for at least a decade now. Um, And even in the last year, Karen and I were giving a presentation in January of 2023. And I think Bitcoin, just to focus on that for a second, I know we're talking about all crypto, but focus on Bitcoin, that hit its low of around $16,000 or its multi-year low, I should say. And since then has just about tripled uh, over the last year. No one would have said that's a foregone conclusion a year ago, we, we were talking about, is it dead? Is it going to go away completely? Which is a similar theme that we've been talking about for a number of years because, you know, there's a lot of use cases and we'll get into that uh, in this conversation, but there's also just a lot of speculation. There's a lot of reasons why it's maybe not an attractive asset for certain people to own or how to own. And that's a constantly evolving, um, subject line as well. There's a a quote from Bill Gates, or at least has been attributed to Bill Gates, that we overestimate what's going to happen in the next two years and underestimate what's going to happen in the next 10. And I think that's absolutely been true. We constantly look at the price of Bitcoin because it's something that we can see on a daily basis that's constantly adjusting and say, well, what's going to happen next? And you have calls out there right now of of some high-profile people saying, Bitcoin's going to $300,000. Bitcoin's going to a million dollars a coin. And that attracts a certain type of investor. And from a planning standpoint, I think that that's relevant to understand who your clients are and their perspective on all this. Because you have the cohort who says, this is the future of money. You have the cohort who just says, I don't know what this is, but I don't like the current system and I wanna invest it for that reason. You have the cohort who says, I don't necessarily believe in this, But because of current events, because other people are speculating on this, I think there's an opportunity for me there. Uh, And then tie that all together because you have an opportunity anytime you have a highly appreciating asset or an asset that could be highly appreciating, you have planning opportunities that moving it out of your estate and into future generations that are not readily available in other assets or, 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 or not as attractive in other assets. So there's so many different reasons why different people are paying attention to this market. And quite frankly, I'm just still shocked that we're talking about it in this state. As a last point, before I hand it over to Karen, I'll say that in that speech a year ago, I was thinking, okay, a year or two or three years from now, either A, it's going to skyrocket, and this is going to be the future, or B, it's going to be nothing, and it's not going to be something we're talking about. And we're still in that limbo phase of right in between, something that's interesting, but not readily available to the entire market or knowledgeable to the entire marketplace.
1: Um, I'm going to go in a different direction and be like specific and a little more tactical, not as interesting as Ross. But, you know, some of the issues that I've seen since Bitcoin was introduced as the first cryptocurrency and cryptographic asset. um, More recently, it's like, okay, I want to sell. Maybe I'm a crypto entrepreneur of some sort. I want to sell I want to de-risk. I want to sell a bunch of tokens and bring a substantial position or substantial is relative, of course, a significant position in cryptocurrency to fiat. And that's a lot harder than you think it should be. And you, that's kind of why a lawyer gets involved. It's making sure you know banks are going to be relatively terrified that the money is not black money, So it's doing all the know-your-client diligence and setting up the proper protocols to onboard the funds. Um, It's thinking about how to hold, you know, the cryptocurrency. Is it a human being? Is it a trust? Is it an LLC? Um, The biggest issue I think that's come across my desk on crypto assets since they were introduced is if someone dies or becomes disabled. That's really the... OS moment, right, where um, just the way these cryptocurrencies are held, if you die or become disabled without proper planning, there is a, a real risk that they're gone forever. Um, and we've seen that recently, I guess in the last five years, not that recent, in the news with Matthew Mellon. Um, you know, we've had that happen with um, digital assets outside of cryptocurrency. For a lot longer, um, so that that's probably the biggest battle cry is to just you know run a fire drill in your head about you know if you drop dead tomorrow and you hold cryptographic assets, what's your succession plan?
0: And because it, it's not like usernames and passwords in the sense of you can reset a username and password. It, it's not. It, it's more subject to loss than even that issue which i know a lot of our clients that's something you coach them about it's like well is your family going to be able to get into your online account that do they have access to your usernames and passwords you know do you have that stored somewhere well this is this is even more at risk than that
1: it could be i mean i'm um i'm for example my personal crypto holdings are relatively simple um they're held in online web wallets um like coinbase and others um, and those are largely, you know, you get in based on a password, and those online web wallets largely retain your private keys. So the way um, cryptographic assets work is there's a public key, um, which is almost like your address, right, your your post office, you know, box, and all of that. Um, and that's how you get money through, you know, the blockchain is through your Uh, public key. But then there's also a private key, which behaves a little bit like a password. Um, And they're very, very complicated. You know, it's not like your private key is password one, two, three, four, five asterisk, right? They're long cryptographic strings. And um, I have a lot of clients with significant crypto assets that don't believe that storing your private and public keys in online web wallets is really the best hygiene as far as security practices. These, um, you know, online web wallets have gotten hacked. Nothing is hack proof, right? So as a result, I mean, I have seen (laughs) somewhat bizarre storage protocols where people like write down all their private keys on 27 sheets of paper and store them in various places around the world in various safe deposit boxes, et cetera. So when you think of cybersecurity risk and you're really trying to, as a number one goal, guard against that, thinking about succession, right? If you have your private key stored in 27 places around the world and nobody knows that and you die, just think about how up creek without a paddle your next of kin will be. So sometimes a succession plan can be, Brent, as easy as, Usernames and passwords, as you talk about with your clients, as far as digital assets, email accounts, sometimes it's something much more complicated. So it does involve a more sophisticated conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit like um, what I, I'll say. What used to be, I don't. Although I don't know if this is really even the right, the right way to phrase it, but I'll just say used to be maybe pre-sort of Panama paper, etc. In the international Sphere of bear instruments. It feels very bare instrument esque, even though of course it's not exactly that. But it the the sort of functionality feels a lot like that. And then the 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 transferability and the risk of losing control is similar.
2: Yeah, I've often thought about it as an alternative asset, like a wine cellar that's just a collectible, or baseball cards, or um, some other. Asset that's just art, artwork's a good example because artwork requires a lot of security it requires a lot of maintenance it requires knowing um, how to store it but for all those analogies for me break down because of the digital aspect of it because it's not a physical object that i know someone's going to come across my wine cellar at some point in time even after i pass there's no guarantee one that people know if i own bitcoin or other cryptos let alone how to access them and let's go back to Karen and the, the cohorts that I mentioned before of she fits into that mold of she's willing to trade some of that risk to the exchange you know that there's to to allow her to have the convenience to buy and sell more easily or or trade and to move them and to give others access to them should she pass when she passes whereas you have the cohort who says not my coin not my key not my keys, not my coin, saying they don't believe that they actually own it unless they are in complete control of that. And those two groups really diverge in how they can own and manage their Bitcoin. And I'll I'll throw in that we are in the week of recording right now, we are looking at the possibility of a spot ETF for Bitcoin. That's also going to change the marketplace because it offers a third option, one, a regulated option that will allow more mainstream investors and other institutional investors an opportunity to directly or indirectly, however you want to phrase it, own Bitcoin, um, which will also affect the marketplace in ways we don't dare predict.
1: The other thing, remember that you know, Bitcoin was introduced, again, as the first cryptographic asset in the wake of the financial crisis where banks who people thought were too big to fail, failed. And so you have this great appeal that cryptocurrency is completely decentralized. So maybe there wouldn't be as well a help desk with your lost wine collection or lost art collection. But I can tell you there definitely is no help desk with cryptocurrency, maybe with the online web exchanges, There, there is, you you, you can eventually get to a human being at Coinbase if you need some help, but if you're storing your pins in an alternative way, there's no one you can call for help. The probate court can't help you, right? These assets are decentralized by nature, and that is their appeal to many people.
0: So then what do you, uh, what do you tend to recommend considering these, these issues of like, uh, uh. C- control and then granting somebody who would have the actual legal control to manage the keys if somebody say became incapacitated what were what, what would be the conversations you would have
1: um, you know I first you you have to run I always start by having clients run the fire drill um, so if something happened to you if you were hit by the proverbial bus tomorrow you um, and you were looking down from the afterlife, you know, what would you then want your authorized fiduciaries to know? What would be the protocol? And let's build that out. Um, so, again, if it's something like a Web Wallet and and people are like me and they choose simplicity over some degree of security, sometimes it's just about sharing information. So I have a Coinbase account, a Kraken account, Binance, and, and you just document that on your list of assets and balance sheets in conjunction with your estate planning file and really just sharing that. And it's leaving the paper trail of information. Some of that these days is made easier by the fact that, you know, crypto assets should be reported on your tax return and um, exchanges like Coinbase do send 1099s. And there have been updates to those laws that that's really required at this point. So, Um, if people choose a bit of simplicity over a bit of security, there tends to be a paper trail um, in the event uh, of unexpected death or or disability. But of course, the best protocol is always to plan ahead and to write that out when you do your estate plan. Um, I'd also say another really important factor is to think about You know, my dad, if something happens to me and my husband, my dad is named as my fiduciary. There's no way my dad can figure out crypto assets. No way. So um, clients that are really into cryptographic assets should think about a special fiduciary that may be needed to help manage the holdings, know when and how to sell them at the right time. Um, You know, selling crypto assets in an easy way can be very costly, There's a lot of fees um, involved in in selling on the most common web exchanges. And so most people with very substantial crypto assets or not even very substantial um, like to do it over what's called over the counter um, in a in a more sophisticated method that reduces fees. Um, So people should think about the right fiduciary, the right person to manage their cryptographic assets in the event of death or disability. Um, And, you know, I I think for those that really favor security over simplicity, I think we as advisors have to alert them to the risks involved in in having uh, sort of hack proof and, and, you know, really ultra secure protocol. I mean, people should give up a little bit of security in exchange for practicality. Um, And there are some additional protocols built in, in um, different advances in technology and cryptographic assets. Um, There there is something called a multi-sig or um, a Shamir backup plan. That kind of has been invented for exactly this reason where the pins are really broken down or better yet replaced with seeds and seed words that can be shared among certain people and a number of the seed words together will unlock the, um, the private keys. So people that really are looking for a very high degree of security should really look into those protocols because they get you a little bit of practicality. Um, and, and most experts would say they're, they're pretty much just as safe. I mean, they'd have to you'd have to find you know all the seeds from all your trusted advisors and get everyone together in a room to really you know unlock the proper protocols.
2: So I realize that guests aren't the ones that are supposed to be asking the questions, but Karen's on such a role there that I want to keep her going. So Karen, I'll throw out the loaded question of what about placing them into an LLC wrapper and using that for planning and for continuity, uh, you know, not having to deal with postmortem issues, or how does that tie into putting them into a trust and sometimes corporate trustees, because you want that continuity of a trustee who is able to handle digital assets continuously no matter who passes
1: you know that is if you're sort of just an estate planning lawyer knowing all the sophisticated ways to simplify succession that just seems like such a perfect solution right and it is except for the fact that the technologists at um you know online web exchanges even like a simple metamask wallet um And even thinking about a device, a physical hardware device that stores your private keys, those things aren't set up to be held by entities, right? So if you go on, let's just take a regular old plain, like Binance user account. You know, the field is first name, last name, right? It doesn't say entity name. Um, Now there are some more sophisticated, usually they're called pro platforms that can operate entities. But those are newer, those are not available everywhere and at certain thresholds. So largely, it's sort of hard to retitle um, cryptographic assets into a entity like an LLC that, of course, has an unlimited life that another human being can just take the manager position and go for it. So let's take a physical method of storing your private keys. That could be a piece of paper. It could be a device, it could be even an app on your phone. How do you title that into an LLC? It's hard, right? There's a couple of maybe best practices that you can employ. And so how do I show up, you know, the the, somebody with cryptocurrency passes away and, you know, that piece of paper was retitled, you know, into an LLC. That doesn't really help with the practical element of succession of how do you find it, right? And how do you go through the proper protocols to sort of have the new manager of the LLC or the new trustee of the trust because somebody passed away that was currently in charge? So there's just some practical limitations to that. But hey, if you can get around them and the way that your client or the way that you hold your crypto, there is a way to title and to have a manager replacement or a trustee replacement process built into what you're doing. That is still the best way to do it. But yeah, now the
2: practice. eternal I, I'm the eternal optimist. And so I always think we're go back to that Bill Gates quote. I think we're always two years away from figuring out a better way to do this for solving for that problem. But it's not there yet. It's clunky. You've been it's, saying
1: that for more than two years. I,
2: I know, but, I'm always, I were just, I, but I've always been saying we're two years away from it. I've just been perpetually wrong. You just
0: continually move the goalposts. And so it, it always works in your favor. You're always right. <laughs> that well you're right and and also there's an sorry there's another piece to that llc and trust puzzle which i i think all of us probably agree would be nice and slick if you can do it that way we as lawyers we love that but ultimately you still do have to involve a third party and so when you have clients who have this sort of security skittishness inviting in a third party into that relationship at some at some level is hard. That's a tough conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, because uh, people are not people are skittish for good reasons. I mean, Google Mount Gox. Um, exchanges fall. People have lost money through involving third parties. So, you know, it's really just brainstorming ways to add a little bit of practicality to what makes the the holder of the cryptocurrency comfortable.
0: Right. Well, let's you you mentioned this, uh, Karen, I think at uh, towards the beginning, and that was really about the the kind of tax planning possibilities with these assets, which are can be quite valuable assets. They see you know, despite all the crypto winter stuff, they seem to be holding their value pretty well. Uh, so to Ross's point, maybe we don't really know what the future is going to hold and maybe the future is going to hold something that's even more valuable than it is today. So we could be dealing with these things in long-term sort of transfer tax planning scenarios. How do you think about where these assets fit within that kind of a context?
2: Yeah. So when we're talking about planning uh, and we were talking about before we started recording about GRATs and and GRATs really are a, a ideal vehicle when you have a highly speculative or highly appreciating asset that could also go to zero because you're not going to use up exemption on something that then was considered a waste of that that use of exemption. So that's where our minds go to, to start. Um, we come back to those issues we just talked about of that transferability. We have to be able to move it Easily, and and especially with a grant, you're not just moving it once; you're moving it multiple times as you make those annuity payments back to the grantor. So you want to you want a process that's going to be a little bit easier, which is why you know if we solve for the LLC issue, it makes that much more attractive. You also have the issue of valuation. And with an asset like a cryptocurrency, you still do need to obtain a valuation, uh, not just on on the creation of the grant, but also for each of those annuity payments. You can't necessarily just use the the daily average of that cryptocurrency that day. It doesn't work quite like a stock does. Um, It's not an expensive valuation to obtain. I think Uh, $500 or so, but it's still a necessary administrative burden um, that makes that just a little bit more um, planning unfriendly. But that's still where I would go to with um, my first level of of advice on thinking through planning opportunities. Karen, where do you go to after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think planning could involve a couple of things, right? Some people's estate plan does involve transferring wealth, um as as low at an estate and gift tax cost as possible uh to children or as maybe wise as possible right you you want to actually transfer the assets to um you know those that receive your estate when you die and not have them caught in you know cryptographic ling- limbo um and then uh you also have folks that are really charitably minded um, and I think, you know, in those situations, at, a, at the right time, these assets can be very highly appreciating. And we all know that the best asset to give charity is to give them something that has dramatically grown in value so that the charity can sell it with no capital gains taxes and you can take a fair market value uh, deduction. So I think the two nuances there for people to know are, you can gift uh, cryptocurrency to your favorite charities. And if your favorite charity is a little nervous to take your cryptocurrency, there's a number of uh, ways that you can get to Rome and intermediary steps that you can take to get your favorite charity, the sort of tax optimized value. You can use a donor advised fund, you can use a crypto clearing house, um, like the giving block or charitable solutions. Um, so that the industry has kind of caught up in that regard. I'm really pleased with where we stand on enabling gifts of cryptocurrency. Um, and uh, I, I would also say, remember as Ross indicated, um, it feels like cryptocurrency is publicly traded, but it's actually not. Um, there's a number of exchanges, but there's no centralized public market, as Apple stock, for example. So just remember that there are limits to gifting sort of private assets to private foundations. Your tax deduction is not going to be as robust. So you know just be thinking about those factors and make sure that you uh, aren't expecting a charitable deduction when you don't, when you really shouldn't get a very robust one. Um, You know, going back to Ross's point of of gifts of crypto, um, you know, one of the practical considerations that we think about if we do a GRAT or we just give the cryptocurrency to a trust, um, other than which we previously said the kind of how do you, you know, transfer title is the risk for the trustee of the GRAT the risk for the trustee of the gift trust. Um, So that's why you know sometimes we just simply have the the you know owner who gifts it out of their estate to a grant look simple right the the owner can be the trustee right they're they're going to obviously be comfortable taking those risks when the grant terminates and it goes to a remainder trust that their brother bob is the trustee of bob may not be comfortable holding cryptocurrency and remember all bob might have in the trust is cryptocurrency right it's not like me where i have you know 1% of my investment assets in cryptocurrency Right. It may be a concentration. And those situations are very hard for people to swallow. And then when you add on all of the additional risks of, well, is, am I going to get in trouble because this is really an unregistered security? We always have the issue with cryptocurrency. Is this a utility token or is it a security? And we've seen in some instances people think it's a token, a utility token or, or not a security. And it is. You know, and people get in trouble. So there's so many risks for fiduciaries that don't start brainstorming ways to get things out of your estate and and get all creative and get excited until you talk about well, hey, who's going to hold this for you, and how can we make their life a little easier so that they're not in trouble for violating securities laws if they own unregistered securities. Those are just issues you have to talk to and take steps to mitigate.
2: I think that that's an important item for donors, for grantors to consider their future fiduciaries? Are they setting them up? Because if if I was still in private practice, I'm not, and I'm not giving legal advice. But if I was, if somebody came to me as a fiduciary and said, I'm the executor, I'm the trustee of this newly created asset, uh, this newly created trust, um, what should I do? My advice might be, I think you should liquidate it.
0: I think there was a I think there was a pause there probably on my end a disruption on the the connection you were
2: saying I'm not giving legal advice and then there was a pause Uh yeah sorry sorry about the connection um so I'm not giving legal advice but if I was in private practice and if I was giving advice from an or or a fiduciary was seeking advice from me um and they were newly appointed as an executor or a trustee and, and realized that they have this asset to manage, they have a crypto asset to manage, I would lean towards most likely telling them to liquidate it, do something that's much more manageable, that's not as risky. So as the donor of that... Consider that that's the advice your future fiduciaries are most likely going to get unless you give other specific instructions and grant the number of waivers that they need to know that they can hold it without liability. Go back to Karen's example of all the charitable recipients of cryptocurrency. Most of the time, they're going to simply liquidate that and turn it into other funds, or it's already through a payment process going to come to them as, as a non-crypto asset, as cash. Uh, and, and so I think that grantors need to keep that in mind of if they want something to divert from that plan, which is going to happen in most cases, they need to spell that out and work with their counsel on how to do so.
1: And I've yeah. seen, you know... Um <laughs> some people think that a Delaware directed trust is the you know answer to all these problems. But remember it's not just investment issues. That's one of them. And that's at the top of the list, as Ross said, like you're gonna wanna diversify and, and sell it, um, at least some of it. But what about custody? Again, if if you know you're putting private keys held on 27 different pieces of paper around the world, um, you know, How do you get comfortable that even as an administrative directed trustee, this is safe and this is okay? Um, How do you get comfortable that you're not holding an unregistered security and in violation of securities laws? I mean, there's so many factors. You know, I do think you could probably get comfortable using a directed trust format under a state law like Delaware um, on the investment issues. But that's just one of them. So I still see just a lot of panic, um, you know, on the multitude of issues uh, that one would encounter in becoming a fiduciary for a a concentration of crypto assets in a trust.
0: Yeah. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Multitude of issues, varied issues across uh, many different contexts with these sorts of assets and And I think probably because of what Ross is saying that we're so we're so early still, which is kind of crazy because they've been around for so long, um, but it still feels like it's just the dawn of of cryptocurrencies, and we still have so many unanswered questions on them that it creates these risks that we haven't solved yet, and maybe yeah, someday I mean, we will solve
1: absolutely a dawn the dawn is like a great way to describe it, because you know the sun is going to come up. Maybe you just don't know when or how. Is it going to be a cloudy day? You know regulation is coming, and you don't necessarily know 100% what that looks like, so you don't want to step in a pile of poo. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or worse. Um, Well, we have only scratched the surface on this topic. Probably everybody can tell by now, Um, but I know the two of you also have real jobs, and it's not talking to me. So, if people are trying to connect with you, what's the easiest way for them to do that?
1: Uh, email. Uh, for each of us, it's firstname.lastname at bbh.com. So I think okay. our, our legal names are going to be posted in the podcast. Just name at bbh.com. Uh, email Ross. He knows more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ross isn't protesting. Don't, don't know about that, but. Gladly to talk to anybody who has follow-up discussion points. Yeah, very good. And, and uh, of course, I'll add all that contact info, to in the show notes so people can can find you easily there. Thank you both very much. I really, really appreciate this conversation and Thank all so the good information. Having. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Brett. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.